The shining light of Jesus. We'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 9, some of the verses there, especially verse 6 and 7. We could also say the title could be Jesus Destroys Confusion and Chaos because he's the great counselor. But let's pray once again that the light of the Spirit of God might be upon us as we study his word. We bless you and we praise you, Father. You have preserved your word. You have preserved us to this moment. We ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon every heart, that we would hear the word of the Lord, that we would be transformed, encouraged, enlightened, instructed. And we bless you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. That which the prophet Isaiah prophesied in verse 2 of chapter 9 is quoted in Matthew 4, 16. The people who sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Spiritual darkness is not a new thing. It started in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? It's been uh, a problem ever since. Throughout the earth. Manifests itself in many ways. Greed, lust, hate, revenge, bitterness, wars, deception, betrayal, false gods. But in the midst of all of that, God shows mercy. He sent a great light. The primary fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah is none other than Jesus Christ himself, the light of the world. At just the right moment, and God always comes in just the right moment. In the midst of the thick darkness, and sometimes we think, I'm in a place of darkness. God wouldn't go there. In the midst of the thick garden, darkness, God sent his son. Verse 6, a child is born. A son is given. And so the Holy Spirit gave the prophet Isaiah a revelation as to the first coming of Jesus Christ. He's a child. He's human. Jesus He's the Son. He's the second person of the triune God in Mary's womb, in the manger, in a house where the wise men found him, as a carpenter's son, in all these locations. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And so in these verses, by using the words child and born and son, the Holy Spirit is emphasizing Messiah's humanity and deity. And using the words wonderful counselor, mighty God, clearly he is emphasizing his deity. So 
Think about it. Christ in Mary's womb. Christ in the manger. Totally God. Totally man. When he came, he did not cease to be God. But he became a man. He became our Savior. Now, because Jesus came, and as he came, was both fully God and fully man, no one reacted to him the way you normally would react to a baby or a young child. You know the story. I mean, it happens all the time. A mother comes into your presence. You come into her presence. They have a newborn. How cute. Whether you believe that's true or not, that's what you say. And the reality is, they are cute. Precious. What a beautiful baby. These are all things as they should be. But for those who came into the presence of the Christ child, the Holy Spirit does not record anyone having that kind of response. Nobody says how cute, how precious, what a beautiful baby. They said, and the Holy Spirit wrote, Emmanuel, God with us. He shall be, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Elizabeth, pregnant with John, recognized the babe in Mary's womb as her Lord. John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb is leaping for joy, worshiping. Aged Simeon, brought into the presence of the Christ child, holds him. And he looks at that child and says, Mine eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. How stunning. How glorious. And the Magi, we can debate for a long time where they came from. They followed his star. How how did they know it was his star? God told them. And God did not see fit to give us all the details of how he told them. But the Magi fell down and worshipped him. This was no mere babe. This is God in the flesh. And so I have to say again. Have you thought about this? When you start in Genesis, very soon things go downhill. Sin enters into the deal. And by the time you get to Noah, God almost just starts over from scratch. Because man has gone so far down the wrong way. Well, we had some glory days in the Old Testament. Abraham and others and But by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, where is light? 
and into the darkness. At the right time, God sent Emmanuel. Now here we are 2,000 years later. Do you think that human nature has changed? That man no longer, instead of evolving, which he never did anyway, but he devolves. You must, I must, we must all be students of the word of God. Because there is a lot in Christendom that bears clear marks of having devolved straight away from the truth. And we glory in things that are different from what those who first welcomed Jesus. So it's really no surprise when you consider that this was God in the flesh. This is Emmanuel. You search in vain in the New Testament for somebody saying, "Oh, we need to have a uh, we need to have a, a little play acting. We need to have a drama. We need to reenact the birth of Christ. We need to reenact Calvary." They don't do that. Why? Who of us is qualified to be God? Who of us is qualified to play act as if we're God? Oh, my child is a precious child. He can pretend he's Jesus. He'll do just fine. He may do a wonderful job. And you'll ooh and ah. And wasn't that cute? And when the child that is designated to represent Mary out of the loose clothing pulls out a doll, it's done that way sometimes. Everybody goes home beaming at the way the performance took place. None of that's in the Bible. Why? This is God. The deity of God is hidden when we move away from reality and start play-acting and pretending. One church recently, in the last few years here in, within Middle Tennessee, for their nativity scene, which they advertise far and wide, in their big auditorium, they included a petting zoo. Because they wanted to offer fun for all ages. That was the advertisement. The, the problem is not with them. The problem is with you and I. That's, we're not dealing with them this morning. We're dealing with you and I. God wants us to be in awe and wonder. God wants us to open the word of God and get alone and, and be astounded and gloriously worshiping and praising God. Emmanuel, God with us, a Savior from sin. He's no mere babe. He was God in the flesh. And on the cross, he was no mere man. He was a God-man. 
paying our sin debt. And by the way, the New Testament church, the scriptures tell us in the book of Acts, turned their world upside down without any play acting. Without uh, drum sets, without amplification, without nice buildings. Because there were those, and there have been those throughout history. God's always had a people. There are those who get it. The miracle is when a person is born again by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and you become a, you become a living demonstration of Jesus Christ manifesting his spirit impacting the world by the preaching of the gospel and by the living out of the gospel that's why there's such an emphasis in the epistles of dealing with sin in the church lest we cause the name of Christ to be blasphemed Paul speaks to Timothy and Titus along those lines. You remember in the Old Testament, Jesus spoke to David along those lines. You've caused the heathen to blaspheme by your sin. So, here is Emmanuel. The biblical revelation, the biblical revelation is clear. The Christ child was no mere babe. He was God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's the Savior from sin. And he came to destroy. I put that out on the Facebook thing last year and just happened to see it. And looking back at what was put down a year ago. and I put the scripture with it in 1 John. Of how that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And I just made the statement that Jesus came to destroy. And then quoted the scripture. Someone didn't read the scripture. Just read Jesus came to destroy. What do you mean Jesus came to destroy? That's not in the Bible. Read the verse. But they might find that rather strange because there are too many people in the pulpit and the pew in whose lives the works of the devil are not destroyed. Living just about like everybody else. But New Testament Christians were in continuing celebration of the birth, the life, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ, Years after John 1.14 The Word was made flesh. The Word. The eternal God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. The New Testament Christians thought about the birth of Christ. They had those kinds of thoughts. I read a sad 
little brief thing on Facebook last night of someone who used to be in this building as a child. They've grown up, they're adult now, getting together with their family for Christmas. Well, this is great. And what I like what I like about it is lots of laughter. Nothing about Jesus. Family and laughter. Do, do I identify with John? The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. What about Timothy? First Timothy three sixteen. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached of the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received a glory. Not to make a scene, but let's, let's get to such a state in our life that we have scriptures like this in our mind and we can just walk up to somebody whether it's December or July doesn't matter when and out of the overflow of our heart just look them straight in the face and say you know what I was reading this this morning without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit Seen of angels, preached to the, unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up the glory. Isn't that glorious? Hallelujah! Or Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. You and I may not have thought about it this morning, but we're one heartbeat away from death, and we're going to die. All of us. And the power of death can only be destroyed by Jesus, who came and took on flesh and paid our sin debt. We mentioned this earlier, but 1 John 3, verse 8, the latter part of verse 8. For this purpose the Son of Man appeared, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Isaiah 9 is not alone. A child is born. A son is given. At the birth of Christ. The coming of God in the flesh. It's evident by the scriptures, and there are others that we have quoted, others we could quote. The birth of Christ made an incredible impact on believers. Please, at best in our culture, because we have dumbed down to just be little robots with the culture. We don't much think about the birth of Christ unless it's December. And then there's so much other stuff. But this is good news 12 months out of the year.
and it's needed news. Yes, a child is born. Verse 6 and 7, And he shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Jesus is present in your life, Christian. And Jesus comes, and when he knocks on your heart's door, lost person, and calls you to himself, he calls to set up shop as the wonderful counselor. We live in a world of deepening sin. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Second Timothy 3, first seven verses, I'll just skim through them. But he's talking about the last days, perilous times, Verse 1 is the way the King James puts it. And another translation, actually a paraphrase, puts it, In the last days it shall be very difficult to be a Christian. For men shall be lovers of themselves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Other translations, greedy for money, full of words, full of proud words, given to bitter words, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, no respect, without natural affection. Boy, that has exploded in our time. Natural, natural, uh, natural affection, God has ordained, it, it, it comes naturally that there would be affection between a man and a woman in a very unique fashion. But we're living in a culture where there's increasingly no natural affection, not just sexually but much hatred, murder goes on in homes among families, children, parents, without natural affection and incontinent, no control, despisers of that which is good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Notice verse 4, this is maybe a surprise. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Oh, they're not atheists. When people in the Old Testament rejected God's work and leadership through Moses and got Aaron to compromise and they built a golden calf and began to bow down and worship, Aaron led them in worship to the Lord. We're not atheists. We're, we're, not, we're not denying the Lord. We just have an idea of, of a better way to worship. God says, here's what you can do and what you can't do. And Eve said, hmm, 
This other guy over here says that that's not true. God says, if you eat of this tree, you die. This guy over here says, no, you won't. You'll be made wise. The devil has never had to change his sales pitch. Here's what the word says. And here are these other voices. And so many people can't be wrong. Many people have been wrong again and again and again. Well, living in that kind of world that's described in Second Timothy, um, then when, when you get later uh, in that chapter, Paul talks to Timothy about the Word of God. And from a child, Timothy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Word of God is profitable for correction, for instruction in righteousness and... and uh, Rebuke and teaching. Oh, well, sure, we, that's what we want. Hmm. I hope you do. I hope I do. Pray for others. Pray for, let's pray for one another that we walk in that path because Paul told Timothy, you need to be on the lookout because there are a lot of people who have itching ears. And uh, they don't want the truth. They want to be made to feel good. Uh, they're not atheists. But uh, they're not, not interested in the word of God. And so Paul said, Timothy, you preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, Because... The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will after their own lust heap to themselves teachers. You be careful what teacher, what preacher you listen to. You've got one source to measure whether or not it's right, and that's the Word of God. Be like the Bereans. They just got through listening to the Apostle Paul. We're going to go home and check it out with the Scripture. Well, people love stories and myths. But the prophet Isaiah said that this one who is God with us, he's the wonderful counselor. He gives the true word of God. Do I have an appetite for the word of God? Do I open the word of God just, uh, I had my quiet time today. Or am I opening the word of God because I need counsel? I need direction. I need understanding. I need change. 
When you open the word of God and you're teachable, the Holy Spirit quickens it and it affects change toward Christ. Change toward Christ's likeness. There's all kinds of isms and schisms and uh, therapies that offer change. And to some degree they may have a measure of success. But what good does it do you if you go through that system and you get sober for the rest of your life and you still go to hell? Because you never came to Christ. This change is brought about by the ministry of the word of God, quickened by the spirit. When we submit to Christ, the wonderful counselor, he will increase holiness and the ninefold fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And he will put to death the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. Have I received, do I, am I receiving Jesus as my wonderful counselor? Oh, but we, we, we can't stop there. And, and so, by the grace of God, I am. I'm not, not perfect and, and I've got miles to go, but uh, I rejoice in Jesus Christ as my wonderful counselor. Well, guess what our assignment is as believers? Brethren, not, not elders, not deacons, brethren. If a man... and this, by understanding, is, would include women who are Christians, as well as men who are Christians. If a man or if a woman be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. That's your assignment. I have an assignment to preach and to teach and to seek to live the Christian life. Are you a Christian? This is your assignment. It's not mine. It's yours. There's nothing more tragic and nothing potentially more boring than just to attend church service. And it's unrelated to anything in your life. But what a high calling... To be taught and to be strengthened in the ways of the Lord. To be experiencing increasing levels of victory. And being given an assignment to go out and be a transformer of others. In the spirit of meekness. You say, well, I would do that, but I'm not spiritual. Well, get spiritual. Deal with what is wrong in your life where you think you're not spiritual. Deal with it. Repent. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, talks about how that uh, elders and pastors and so forth are gifts to the church. And then in verse 16, he says that we're built up as a body of believers. We are built up by every joint or every member, of that which each one supplies. I hope this is exciting. Now, we don't think about this, but physically. What if your body didn't work that way? 
You have all these members, and they don't care about the rest of the members. They're just in there for themselves, and, and uh, I don't care about the foot. My whole body has been caring about my foot. We're built up by that which every member supplies. This is true church work. One more along this line. In 2 Thessalonians 5, 14. And I'm going to pull out this one so I can read a few more of the translations alongside it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Now, we exhort you, brethren. Here's an assignment for the church. Warn them that are unruly. Do you see what so-and-so, he, he was at church this morning. Do you see what he just did? That's not doing any good. That's spreading slander. A gossip. Warn them that are unruly or disorderly or careless or idle or keep a check on loafers. Spiritual loafers. The Amplified says, admonish, warn, and seriously advise those who are out of line. So I ain't going to be a part of that church. They're going to be watching over me and getting me in line. I don't want anybody getting me in line. I want to live my own life. And what I do is nobody's business. Well, you must not be a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, it is every other Christian's business what I do. Or what you do. Just like your body. It's this whole body's business to figure out something about this foot. And some of you know, when I was at nine years old, when I stuck this finger in the washing machine wringer to try to feel the sensation of it. Have you ever done that? I don't recommend it. But it stalled. And I was wondering, was I going to get caught? So I finally got it reversed. Took forever to pull it out. Ran off the back porch, looked back. Nobody's watching. Oh, trail of blood. Oh, there's a bone. This whole body went into action. Doing the thing that I feared to do, first of all. Daddy. Mom. They took me to the doctor, sewed it up, taking care of it. It's well. All these years later, it helps me to know my left from my right. Because the left hand has a scar and has a little tingle when you do that. And I never would have known left from right had that not have been. That's a little bit of exaggeration. But the point is obvious. The whole body coming to the aid of one stupid finger. Why did you do that? No, we did that. Isaiah 9 verse 6, mighty God. Jesus is God. He has supernatural power. He's sovereign. He's in control. Here's a good quote. With Jesus as my wonderful counselor, confusion leaves. With Jesus at the helm, helm as mighty God, chaos is destroyed. 
Christ the King loves to step into a life of chaos and not only provide wonderful counsel, but he also displays his divine power by bringing order to the chaos. In other words, Jesus not only tells his subjects what to do as the wonderful counselor, but he also energizes his redeemed ones to do it because he's the mighty God and he lives within you by his spirit. He comes to forgive sin, to defeat Satan, to liberate people from the power of evil, to redeem sinners, to answer prayers, to restore broken souls, to reign over those given him by the Father, bringing order to our chaos. This is the reality of genuine celebration when you connect Bethlehem with Calvary. I'm no match for Satan or sin or hard circumstances. And so if I, leave, if I live leaning to my own understanding and my own thoughts and solutions, I'll get robbed of hope and joy and chains of, and of sin will grab me. But Jesus is a wonderful counselor, the mighty God. And he's the everlasting father. He's not just mighty, he's good. He's the God of all mercies. He's the God of comfort. Get into the scriptures and behold Jesus who reveals the Father to us. Many of us don't have a lot of good memories when it comes to a Father. Jesus came to earth revealing the heart of the Father. Strong but kind. Loving and compassionate. Look at his heart. Look at how he dealt with the woman at the well and so many others. Look at his tears with Mary upon the death of Lazarus. Go home and read Psalm 23 again and behold his shepherd heart. He's the everlasting father. He's the father for all seasons. He brings all of his children safely home. He's also the prince of peace. He comes to reconcile. He comes to bring us into the family. Without Jesus and his peace, life is filled with ambition, covetousness, get angry, defensive, combative. I'm not able to maintain relationships. But by coming to the Prince of Peace, I'm empowered to experience healing in relationships one of the privileges I've had through the years. Well, first of all, it could have been much quicker had we been walking in the Spirit as we should. While Joel and Ann are celebrating 60, Cindy and I, I think, is 56. It's a miracle that we're here and that we love each other. But the great physician did that. The prince of peace did that. And I've had the privilege of sitting and walking with many people from the point of helplessness to seeing their lives and their marriages healed. He's a prince of peace. Do you know him? 
He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And when he's that, the government is on his shoulders and not yours. Who's running your life? He came as a child born, a son given. And as we saw in in, uh, Philippians last week, being made in human likeness, he was found in the appearance of man. The eternal Son of God humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, wherever you turn in the Bible, you keep coming up with this wonderful theme. When the Father gave sinners to the Son, John 17 tells us that, the Father gave all those who will ever be saved have been given by the Father to the Son. And that means that Well, when someone, maybe over the holidays here, someone gives you a very expensive gift. And you say, thank you. And then they say, I didn't pay for it. You'll have to pay for it. And when the Father gave you to Jesus, Jesus knew. The Father was not playing a trick on Jesus. The triune God knew what the price was. There's no other way under heaven whereby God could be righteous and holy and receive a sinful man. A sin debt had to be paid. It required the virgin birth. This child had to be God, but also had to be man. Jesus came knowing what the price would be. He didn't turn back. We see something of the pathos of it in the Garden of Gethsemane when the sweat is as blood coming from him. And he says, Father, if there's any other way. If you read all the passages from that moment on, there is never any conflict of spirit. He goes straight forward to the cross. And oh, by the way, early on in the ministry of Jesus, Satan has his day at trying to pull Jesus aside. He's, Jesus rejects that altogether. Satan has, there's no word about Satan in all the message of the cross in the latter patch, chapters of the, of the Gospels. He's done. He's cooked. <laughs> Jesus is steadfast going to the cross to willingly pay our sin debt. He came to Bethlehem and Calvary. He came there seeking and saving sinners. And he says to you and I, come to me and repent. Receive him as your wonderful Savior, your wonderful Counselor, your mighty God, your eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. And when the government is on his shoulders, you'll have peace. Sins forgiven, indwelling power to have a new life, 
to go out from here to love, to bless, to pray for, to do good to others, to forgive even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you, to walk in the path of the most joyous person who ever walked on the face of the earth, Jesus, anointed with the oil of gladness above all others, and now with him dwelling within you and you walking in his steps, you'll not be morose. You'll be the happiest person in five counties or more. That's what Jesus does. What a wonderful Savior. Our Father, we thank you that you've preserved the sacred scripture. And we think about Isaiah. If you read the whole book of Isaiah, what a heavy load must have been upon him as a prophet to have to give such bad news again and again, to have to warn of coming judgment and wrath and so many things. And like so many of the prophets, they were hated and despised. But in the midst of that, what a day to give this revelation to Isaiah, who then the Holy Spirit would have it quoted in the New Testament and lived out in the person of Jesus, now to be lived out in and through us because Christ tabernacles with us, in us. God with us by the Holy Spirit is God in us. Hallelujah. What glorious salvation. And there are those here today who've never come to faith in Christ. We pray that this might be the day that the lights turn on, the, the light is shining. The scripture has shined forth the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us not run away. May there be those who come to the light. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.